0: blessings. He's been good, hasn't he? Amen. All right. Romans chapter 6 in one hand and Second Samuel 11 in the other. If you'd stand with me, please. Romans chapter number 6 in one hand and Second Samuel chapter number 11 in the other hand. Um, I'll be honest with you, I wanted to preach a Thanksgiving message, but that's not really what the Lord gave me. And so my job is... Uh, is to be the mailman, amen? I, didn't, I don't make the mail, I just deliver it. Uh, and so you guys are a little stuffy today. Someone needs to break loose. Some, some kid needs to yell or something. Something needs to happen, but uh, tru, truly, I mean, you know, there are times where uh, the Lord shows you what he wants, and um, I don't always want it. And I've got to be honest with you, this is one of those moments where I, I realized uh, over the course of... Uh, this morning is that this is exactly what I believe God wants us to hear. So I pray it's a help to you this morning. Romans chapter number 6, we'll read a couple of verses there, then we'll go to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. And don't forget, uh, last week we talked about the giant killer, we talked about David and how he was able to slay the giant and be thankful for those giants in our lives. Um, what I'm going to do is kind of turn your attention to a different chapter of David's life, though. And so what we saw last week was David as a young man. And uh, what we're going to look at this week is David a little bit later in life and um, opportunity that presents itself and how he responds to it. Look at Romans chapter number 6. And look, if you would, at verse number 12. Let not sin, therefore, what? Amen. All right, let's, let's try it again. Let not sin, therefore, what? Amen. Reign in your mortal body; you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. That implies choice, and what that implies is you are either going to—you are never. I don't care what you think. As Americans, we don't like the idea of a king. I mean, right away, I hear King George like, man, burn it, you know, Revelations, 1776, you know, Second Amendment and all that stuff. I don't want to be told what to do. I like being a free man. Come on, guys. Yeah. I like that. You do too. We, we appreciate our constitutional rights and all that stuff. But what, as Americans, we're not accustomed to is the idea that someone is reigning over us. And what I want you to get a hold of this morning is God presents us with two choices. You either allow sin to reign or you allow him to reign. And uh, it's a choice. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have what? Dominion Dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Old Testament. Turn our attention to King David one more time this month, and I I want you to, to see David is given an opportunity to uh, allow sin to enter in or to resist it. And we we'll want to see kind of how this plays out. Second Samuel 11, look if you would at verse number 1. It came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and beseeched Rabbah. And, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to read verse 1 and know that something's already off. And it shows you in verse one it's the time when kings should go forth to battle. And and parents, we know this as parents, and if you're a manager at work, you learn this too. There's a difference between delegation and relegation. Delegation is giving someone something that they can handle because you don't have to handle it directly. Relegation is giving something to someone because you don't want to deal with it, but it's your responsibility. All right. People relegate their children being raised to other people all the time. Doesn't mean it's right. All right, David is here. He should be going forth to battle, but he doesn't. And that's already kind of a a red flag there. But look at verse 2. And it came to pass in an evening tide, that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? In other words, she's married, dude. She's not available. If you're trying to swipe right, you're, you're swiping the wrong direction. She's not. I don't know if that's the right way to do it or not. I have no idea. I haven't had to worry about that for a very long time. 22 and a half years to be exact, all right? But, but, but notice that she's not available, and, and notice what happens in verse 4. And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And She returned into her house, and the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now, for sake of time, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but here's what I want you to kind of look at. We're just going to skip through a couple verses here. What David does, he sends for Bathsheba earlier. Look at verse number six. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. You say, who is that? Her husband. You say, what does he try to do in the next couple verses? He tries to get him drunk and go home to be with his wife. You say, why? To cover it up. So how the story end? Well, look if you would at uh, verse number 26, and when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, say, "Why is he dead? Because David had him killed. Yeah. Say, why to cover it up?" You say, "What's going on? Here's the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, but David is no longer in control. You say, "Who's in control? Sin." See, sin has the ability to reign over you if you don't learn to submit to God's reign. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Uh, Brother James, would you ask the Lord's blessing on the word? Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me say this. If you're visiting with us this morning, I recognize that I'm talking potentially to two groups of people. And I don't mean white versus black, and I don't mean, you know, Hispanic versus Asian, or, or old versus young, or binary versus non-binary, or gay versus straight, or, or any of the other, or, or Republican versus, there's a big one right now. Everyone's talking about politics and all that stuff. Hey, let me just say this right now. Whether you're a Republican or Democrat will not get you one inch closer to heaven or hell. You're either a born-again believer or you're not. The two groups I'm going to talk to today are, are those who are born-again children of God. You've been adopted into God's family. God has brought you in because you made a choice to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And as the as as deacon prayed this morning, it costs you nothing. It cost him everything. Amen. It was a free gift that God gave us. Thank God for that. You can either accept it or you can reject it. Those are the two groups that I want to talk to today. If you're not a born-again child of God, here's what this means. You might be a moral person. You might be a, a, a member of a church. You might be baptized. You might live a great life. But the Bible says you cannot measure up to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And He is the standard, and either you are saved, you, you've trusted Him as your Savior, or you're lost. And if you're lost, that's where you're at. If you're saved, you're over here. And you know what you are? You're no better than a lost person. In one regard, you're still a sinner. You're a saved sinner, but you're a sinner. You better thank God that the day you got saved, God wiped your soul clean and made you new. Man, because if it wasn't for that, you would never never have a shot in this life. But even after you're born again, the reality is this. You have to make a choice every single day. Who's going to be sitting on that throne? Is it going to be the new man or the old man? Am I going to allow sin to reign in my mortal body? And by the way, can I say this? We have eradicated from our society's language the word sin. We call it a disease. We call it this. We call it that. There are some things that are sin. God calls them sin. And listen, you might be going, yeah, get after those people out there. I'm talking to you. All of us. If I had a mirror right here, I'd be saying, you, Adrian, you know why? Because I'm a sinner just like you. And the reality is this. We have a choice. Even you say, well, if I'm lost and I'm in my sins, I've never been born again, why should I even get saved if I still have to fight this battle? Here's why. Because the one thing I don't have to worry about is that someday I will escape the presence of sin once and for all. Not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ regardless of whether you're saved or you're lost, you need to understand the moral and, and eternal implications of the word sin. Now, now one thing I learn when you read the Bible is this. The Bible is not just a storybook about morals. It's a history book. And a lot of history covers a king and his kingdom. And when you are the Old Testament, what you find out is that the theme of the Bible is a king and his kingdom. We know from studying the New Testament that there's the kingdom of heaven, and that's a, a literal, physical kingdom on this earth. And we're not experiencing that quite yet. But in the Old Testament, that's what they were looking at. That's what they were hoping for to come. And so you read about Adam being a king in the garden, and he loses his reign. You read about Noah being a king, possibly in the new world, and he loses his reign. You read about Moses being a king. The Bible says he was called a king in Deuteronomy. Uh, over there in uh, Deuteronomy chapter, I believe it's number seven, somewhere in there. And, and, and he calls Moses a king. And guess what he did? He hit the rock when he should have spoken to the rock, and he loses the ability to go in the promised land. Every single one of those kings fails every single one until a man named jesus christ shows up Amen. and the only reason that any of us have a hope at reigning is because of him do you know what the bible says the bible says in revelation chapter 5 he hath made us to be kings and priests you know what that means one day you are going to help if you're born again child of god you're going to help the lord reign on this earth as a king in righteousness you know what he wants you to do in the meantime? Right now, you're not living a physical kingdom. We are in a spiritual kingdom called the kingdom of God. If you're saved, you are brought in, ushered into, if you will, born into God's family to enter a spiritual kingdom. You know what the Bible says in Luke 17? Say not that uh, that the kingdom of God cometh with observation, or say not that lo, it is here or lo, it is there, for the kingdom of God is within you. So now, as a born-again child of God, you don't have a physical piece of earth to reign over. You know what you have to reign over? Your own self and your ability to say no to sin makes all the difference in the world. But great men are not always wise, are they? David's a good man. We see clearly in chapter number 11, it's almost like most of the Old Testament narrative leading up to this story. You'd almost think that David was sinless. Because when it comes to Saul tormenting him and chasing him in the wilderness and Saul uh, uh, looking to, to take the life of an innocent man, David, for nothing that David has done wrong. You would look at it and go, man, it just seems to me like David is like this beyond human character and I could never live up to his standards. You know what I love about the Bible? It shows all of our flaws. And David is just a man like the rest of us. But David allowed something. He allowed the door to be open to this little, three little word called sin. And our society may want to get rid of that word, but it's still there. You know what? You don't. You may get rid of the word sin, but you know what you live with? You live with guilt. Right. Right. The question is, how do you clear that guilt? And if you're a born again, listen, if you've never been saved, the best way to clear that guilt is to get washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, to ask Him to be your Savior to be, become a born-again child of God, and then once you're saved, whenever you mess up, you address it the right way, you don't blame society, you don't blame your parents, you don't blame the people at church, you say, it's my sin, I did it, I like it, and I need to get it right with God. Yeah. You know what David experiences in this chapter? Almost like a a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. All his life, kind of let's say like he's this great guy, and he is, but every one of us has a chink in the armor. What may bother David may not bother you. Some some ladies read this chapter and go, "What a disgusting pig." Okay, but maybe you have a problem with pride, or maybe you have a problem with bitterness, or maybe you've opened the door to covetousness. But we deal with sin kind of like it's like, "Well, my." You ever notice? Okay, I'm I'm sorry. We're going to go somewhere that may make some uncomfortable. You ever notice me at church? And, and someone has used the bathroom before you, and you're like, oh, my goodness. What in the world did they do in there? It's like, what is that? Well, that that's a tale. I can't believe someone would do that at church. Of all, This is a holy place. Right? Almost like when you go, it smells like roses. I, you know, the, that's how we live life. Like, my sin is not nearly as bad as your sin. Can I just say this, sin in the sight of God is disgusting and vile. And when you read David's chapter, you read this chapter of David's life, you go, how could anyone do that? How could someone go that far? I'll tell you how, they open the door. And the rest happens from there. I call it the law of moral gravity. Over time, things just continue to build out of control. We live in a society that that wants to rename everything. Adultery is an adultery, it's called an affair. A pedophile is not a pedophile. They're a minor, attracted person. Drunkenness is called a disease. Let me tell you something. No one, listen, I, I've heard this my, for, for years now, and I've got to get this off my chest. I have an addictive personality. Welcome to the club. I'm addicted to sugar, and I want more right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean every, well, you know the poor so and so they have an addictive personality, everyone has that it's what you get addicted on that makes the difference. You can get addicted on the Bible, you can get addicted on church, you can get addicted on Jesus. it doesn't have to be all that, but the reality is this: we kind of rename things, don't we? why because i don't want to take responsibility for sin There are some things that listen i'm i 'm not going to say you got to be careful because people hear things and they run with it in the wrong direction. Not all mental health problems are demonic. you understand that? Some mental health issues are legitimately mental health issues. But I'm going to tell you right now, there are some things that are labeled mental health today that according to the Bible, man, it is un- there's some dark stuff going on. And rather than getting the root, they just give you a pill to c- keep the pharmaceutical companies going. Instead of looking at what is causing this root problem. Sexual perversion is called finding yourself. Choices that you make are just called being born this way. Gentlemen, when you get upset with your wife and you blow up at her, you know what you say? Well, it's just how my dad was. Doesn't mean you have to be an idiot as well. (laughs) Amen. Amen. I appreciate that laugh, Bella. Thank you. (laughs) When you eradicate sin from the dictionary of a society, or worse yet, you redefine what it is, you know who becomes God? You do. You know what you hate? You can't stand when a politician gets up and says, no more taxes. I am old enough to remember, read my lips, no more taxes. Remember that? <laughs> George Bush Sr., anybody remember that? Okay. And so, and so listen, it's not a tax. We're just going to call it a fee. Yeah. Right. Right. Still feels like money is floating out of my wallet, and I can't get it back in. Yeah, but it's a fee. It's not a tax, so you should be okay with that, right? I don't care how you relabel it. It still ends up the same way. And sin is no different. Sin, the Bible says sin in Romans 7, that it might appear sin. And listen, there are some things that we have got to as a, a, not as a society, but as a church. The Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. Quit calling it a bad habit. It's sin. Quit saying it's their fault. It's yours. You're doing it. No one's putting a gun to your head and saying you've got to keep doing this thing. That's on you. David didn't have anybody pressuring him to do what he did. There was no outside influence. It wasn't even like the situation with Amnon and Tamar. It was David by himself listening to David. David went in his own direction. He lost the throne. You go, I don't see him losing the throne in this chapter. Oh, he loses it later. You say, what is sin? The Bible says all unrighteousness is sin. That's the definition of sin. People go, well, is it, you know what, I, can't, I don't know why Christians live this way. Um, I, I do have a child this way. I have a child that like, okay, what's the rule? And how can I, that's the line? Okay, I'm going to kind of go like that and kind of like this. And, and maybe it's Preston, maybe it's not. It's just like, like, were you outside? Yeah, but I was feeding the dog. Did I say to go outside? No, but the dog looks sad. I'm like, where is this going? just like a lot of Christians live their life that way, and they're kind of like, okay, um, the line's right here. Is there something sinful about that? Wh- why are you living your life like that? Why don't you go, it's almost like at work. What's the least I have to do to keep my job? Right. Right. Yeah. You ever been around people like that? Some of are like, yeah, I work with one of those bums right now. All right, well, listen, if, don't be that one spiritually. Instead of going, how close can I get, how go-? It's almost, you know, we're doing a series on music, and I appreciate some of the young people coming up to me and going, uh, Pastor, I, I was listening to this, it kind of felt like this, and I kind of think this, and you know what they're trying to figure out? Some discernment, that's good. Amen. But instead of going, what's wrong with it? Why don't you start going, how is that going to help me? How will that make me a better Christian? How will that make me a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a better wife, a better child of God? Amen. Jesus had this to say about sin. I said, therefore, unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. I don't know, it sounds pretty grave. It sounds pretty sobering. It sounds pretty serious. It sounds to me like God doesn't joke about sin. Now, I, I'm old enough to remember comedy that wasn't filthy. <laughs> remember that? You know, there was some comedy back in the day. It was, just, it was just funny. It was stupid, but it was clean humor. You know, who's on first? Remember who's on first? I mean, compare that to stand-up comedy today. Yeah. It's just filthy, yeah. and we're in, just surrounded by filth. And you guys have it on your phones, and it's everywhere that you go, and you're constantly seeing things and bombarded with things, and you become dead into it. Yeah. And then you come to church, and the preacher says the Bible says this, and this is right, and that is wrong. You're like who's he to judge? I'm a nobody, but God's someone. And I can tell you this, if you're without Jesus Christ, I didn't say this. I am begging you to consider a sinless man, a perfect man, a man that knew everything about you, a man that knew you would maybe use God's name as a curse word, a man that knew all the things you would say and do, all the sins you would commit, and he still loved you enough to die for you. Would you consider that? I'm begging you to consider that today. But I'm also not going to back away from the reality that sin is sin. Why did he die? Seem pretty serious. Why did he die for, oh, 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 for our sins? Why would he do that? Because you know how serious God takes sin? When his own son is on the cross, his son cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you think because you haven't murdered someone, God's going to turn a blind eye to your sin? You see, we look at sin as as this uh, awful thing for the people that are strung out and the people that are, you know, out on skid row. No, sin affects all of us. Its origin comes from the Garden of Eden, whether you believe that story or not. The Bible says, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Death by sin, so death passed upon all men. You know what I'm saying in so many words? You can't get away from it. It's here. It's all around us. And it's in a lot of us. And there are parts of our lives that need to be addressed this morning because we're not calling them what they are. You know what David could have said? You just don't understand. Yeah, I had a guy killed. Yeah, I stole his wife. But it's my personality. It's like I was born this way. Somehow, when you read this story, you go, that guy's a jerk. But when we read the story of our own lives, we're kind of like, well... you have a choice whether you want sin to rule over you. You're never going to go, I'm, I'm free from everything. No, you're not. you either a servant of righteousness or you're a servant of sin. Those are your options. And as a born again child of God, there is something so freeing and so liberating from having a clean conscience and living a clean life and dealing with your sin because you're always going to be fighting something. You get over the drugs and you get over this and you get over that, you're going to deal with pride and jealousy and covetousness and bitterness. You're, there's always going to be something. But when you take it head on, you go, man, that's mine. I'm wrong. Lord, forgive me. Help me deal with that the right way. It is liberating for your life it allows you to step forward to serve God and to do something worthwhile. Guys, we are here and then we're gone. Your life is a vapor that's here for a little while and then it vanishes away. It is here and gone. The reality, my dad was in, you know, there in Florida doing the retirement thing and he was on his roof last night. My dad, he's like 70 million years old. <laughs> and he's on a roof and like, uh, this is a true story. Ariana knows this. He could pay people to come do that, to clean the gutters. Yeah. Para que? Yo lo puedo hacer yo mismo. I can do it myself. Why would I pay somebody else? <laughs> but you're old. <laughs> and you shouldn't be on the roof. Right. But you know what he said? He said to himself, I can handle this. So what does he do? He gets up on the roof, and he slips on the ladder. And listen, it's Florida. It's always wet. It's always humid. It's always muggy. If you like Florida, God bless you. I. I lived there for five years, and I got back to God's country. Amen. (laughs) Ladder slips out from underneath him, and I get the call. And honestly, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, Lord, don't let the baby come tonight. I'll fly to Florida, fly right back. I don't know. It could be the last moment I see my dad. Thank the Lord he's okay, generally speaking. Nothing too lasting, too major, but he, he bruised him. He got pretty banged up. But you know what made me think about? What was the last thing I said to my dad? What was the last conversation? You know why? Because life just moves, man. And you're going to get to the end of your life. You're going to wish you had served God and done something of some importance that would leave a legacy beyond yourself, beyond the inheritance that you may or may not leave to the kids, beyond the cars and the house and whatever else you leave behind. You want to know, that, man, I've touched someone's life for eternity. And you can't do that when you allow sin to reign in your mortal body. Let me say this, number one, sin has drawing power. You say, what does that mean? It draws you. Look at verse number two in our chapter. Can, can, I, can I ask you a question? Is there anything wrong with going for a stroll? No. Is there anything wrong? Honestly, if, if, if you're just walking innocently down the road and you see something that you shouldn't see, you didn't do anything wrong. But man, right after that, that's where you pump the brakes, boys that's where you go okay shutting that thought down right away why because this will not lead to a good place you know what david does he moves on that next step he goes well what if you know what sin does in your life it it makes you think what if what if my, my parents sheltering me for all those years what if i was missing out on something you're not missing out on anything what if I just what if I just do it one time? What if I just give in? What if I just I just need this so bad? And then you start thinking, then you start planning. Before you know it, it's drawing you in. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says to be simple concerning evil. There are some things, listen, I know some people, man, they live on the internet. They live for like finding out about the Illuminati and the Skull and Bone Society and you know the trilateral commission and Pastor Adrian, don't you know anything about this? Why don't you teach on it? Because it ain't in the Bible. Yeah. Pretty simple. You know, but don't you know, listen, there's some things I don't need to know any more garbage than I already know. I got enough garbage in my life. Don't dump your garbage in my backyard because you spend too much time on YouTube. But you know what sin does? It draws you in. It makes you think, what if? Look at James chapter 1. We'll come back to Second Samuel. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I know someday I will forever conquer sin. Someday I will rise victorious over death, the grave, and sin forevermore. But it's now that my battle exists. And when you sit in the lazy boy where David was at, and you get in the reclining position when you should be fighting, things tend to kind of move on their own. And then you kind of get bored with life where it's at and you start wondering what's out there and you go for a stroll and you see things and you hear things and you wonder oh, what if and what, what, what would be the problem if I did this and where's the line at anyways and, and why do we have to not do that and what's the big deal? And you start talking to yourself and before you know that sin it just draws you in. Look at James chapter one, look at verse number 13. You are, you are in a Bible believing church. You know what that means? We believe the Bible, which means this. We don't believe sin is a made-up word by preachers. We, mean, we believe that sin is a word that God gave us to describe that which goes against his nature. And it's in all of us, and we have to recognize that, and we have to know when it's trying to draw us. Look at James 1, look at verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. In other words, you can't say, well, God made me this way. Listen, you were born with a sinner's nature, no doubt. You know how I know that? These kids, man, these babies, when they come out, they look so angelic. Right, Miss Ashley. Yeah, they're just perfect and they would never do anything wrong. Don't feed them. Watch what happens. <laughs> if they had a gun that da, 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 Man, that baby! Aah! It's like, you know, an exorcism is going on in the house. You say, "Why?" Cuz that baby's letting you know, "If you don't give me what I want, I'm coming for you, mama." That's in human nature in all of us. You know what that means? We're born with a sinner's nature. But at the end of the day, as you grow and understand what sin is, no one puts a gun to your head and says you must do this. Right. You must go against what God said. You choose to submit yourself under the reign of sin. One of the Forgive me. This is what I call uh, theology by Disney. And I know some of you are already getting really nervous about that. But, but you guys remember Mufasa? You remember Simba? Yeah. Remember Scar? Remember when Scar was leading and and running the show and it was all barren and the hyenas are all over the place? Okay, that's like the devil and sin. And then the real king shows up. Is anybody anybody tracking what I'm throwing down right now? The real king shows up and there's an epic battle, but there always has to be a battle because someone has to be on that throne. For David, he chose to let it be sin. Look what it says here. Let no man say when he's tempted of God, I'm tempted of God. For I'm tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted. When he's drawn away because his wife keeps saying things that he just wishes she wouldn't say. (laughs) Is that what it says? In the original languages, it might say that. I don't know. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that, all right? Uh, You know what it says? Every man is drawn away because of his own what? Yours. Well, they push my buttons, and you push theirs. Amen. But it's still your sin. The Bible says he's drawn. Notice that word, drawn away. It's almost like getting distracted and getting pulled away from where God wants you to be. And then in verse number 15, Then when lust hath conceived it, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, not when you're finished with it. When it's finished with you, bringeth forth death. I'll never forget. It's Christmas time. I always think about this at this time of year. Some of you know the story. Some of you don't. Here we go. We were living in Germany, in Bootsbach, Germany, and uh, my family was kind of meager, you know, means growing up. Family of six kids, and you know, E five, E six salary didn't go a whole lot way. And and uh, but Christmas was really special. We all we went out at Christmas time. And my dad always—it did, didn't matter. Back then we had a layaway. Do you guys know what layaway is? If you know what? Okay. It kind of went away for a couple of years, and it kind of made its way back. Anyways, my dad had bought some presents and had put them in the back of our van. My sister Miriam knew this, so my sister Miriam said, "Adrian, Dad put presents in the back." Or anyway, she goes, goes "Adrian, there's something in the back of the van. You know, Dad's in the army. It's secret stuff." The government will kill you if you look. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, as a, as a, as a seven year old kid, you don't think, I don't think they'd trust an E6 with that, you know? <laughs> but, but, anyways, I, I'm a kid and I'm going, well, what's out there? And what could it be? And what could be out there? And so, you know what I did? One day I went outside. I kind of was waiting no one's, it's, having quiet in a house of six kids is really hard. It was kind of, you know, the people's doing stuff, and I'm like, okay, this is my time to slip out. I slip out, and I go into the van, I unlock the, go the, open that door. It was a 1986 conversion van. It would totally look like a Creepo van today. <laughs> <laughs> Tinted windows, captain table, chair in the middle, you know, the, cu- the cups in the middle. Oh, man, it was just so, anyways, got in there, and I went to the back, and I literally sat on that chair thinking, should I look? Should I not? Should I look? And within about 30 seconds, if you've ever, listen, if you've ever been chased by an angry Puerto Rican teenage girl, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> she came out of the house, what are you doing? And I thought to myself, I'm a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I, talk, I didn't look, I didn't look, don't tell them, I don't want to die, I didn't look. Do you know what I was really wondering about? I, wondered, I thought to myself, either the government's going to kill me, or that's where Santa Claus puts his stuff. <laughs> but there was something drawing me out there. Sometimes, just curiosity, well, what, what's under that? Sometimes you don't need to know what's under that. Let me just say this: David was drawn away because of his own imagination. It's an interesting thing because in the story, you read about David looking, and then you read about him sending uh, inquiring about her and then they come back and go hey yeah that's this guy's wife and then he goes one step further and sends for her it's almost like the lord's trying to pump the brakes like hey man stop what you're doing and he just keeps going well what if what if let me just tell you there are some things that you don't need to debate about you just need to run for your life when we sing a song to our kids put on your running shoes right you guys know that song i don't know that these match me very well today but I just want you kids especially to remember this for the rest of your life. And for the rest of the message, I'm going to be really comfy wearing my Adidas. You know what you ought to do whenever you get in trouble? Whenever sin's knocking at your door, don't sit there and debate with, don't think to yourself, what if? I don't know. And what's the big deal? Get your shoes on and run. Listen, these are not great running shoes. Can I run in them? Yes, I can, but not very pretty and not very well. And I'm going to come out with some pain. Get your running shoes on. Listen, when Potiphar's wife came on to Joseph, Joseph wasn't like, well, I mean, under the circumstances, and, you know, I don't know, these days, ma- values are different and things are, the times are changing. And David, you know, jo- Joseph puts his running shoes on. He gets out of there. He doesn't sit there and debate with himself whether this is right or not. You know why? It's going to draw you in. Once you start getting drawn, put your shoes on and run for your life. <laughs> But if you think sin is not a big deal, you're tempted to go, ah, it's okay. And it's not. Sin has a drawing power. Over there in the book of Judges, you may or may not remember, you go, Pastor, are you can keep those shoes on. Absolutely. These are way comfier than the other ones. <laughs> Over there in the book of Judges, there's a story about the Benjamites fighting with Israel. And that's a long story in and of itself. Israel gets beat by the Benjamites twice, two days in a row on the third time, they do something different. You know what they do? They act like they're getting beat out in the battle, but they have people on the backside of the city. And when the, the Benjamites come out of Gibeah, they go, oh, we're beating them for the third time. And then they look behind them and see their cities on fire. And their women and kids are going to die. So now they're going, what do we do? You know what happened? They got drawn away from their city. They got distracted. You know what sin does? It draws you away. It distracts you. And it makes you think, what if? Can I encourage you to stop right there? Because <laughs> once you start doing that, once you get drawn in, sin has the power to deceive you. It, it has this power to say, you know what? Uh, you can be different. Uh, you, don't, you can be the exception. Uh, you, can, you can conquer this. No, you can't. You, it will rule over you once you start giving into it. The, the deceiving power of sin. Listen, the Bible warns us about being deceived by others and being deceived by false prophets. But you know what the Bible also says? Let no man deceive himself. You know why? Because you trust you a whole lot more than you trust anybody else. And the problem is you will lie to you. And you will say it's not that big one. Nobody has to know. I can handle it. I deserve this. I can cover this up. I've got a plan. I can be the exception. And no, you can't. Over there in the Garden of Eden, you know the story. The Bible says that the, Satan, the, the serpent speaking to the woman, he says to her, ye shall not surely die. True or not? Bingo. You know the worst lies you can tell yourself are the ones that have a little bit of truth in it. So the devil says, ye shall not surely die. Oh, I won't go to hell for this. No, you won't if you're saved. And by the way, you don't go to hell for your sin if you're lost. You know what you go to hell for? The only sin you go to hell for is rejecting the the payment for your sins, Jesus Christ. That's it. But but I'm going to tell you right now, as a born-again child of God, you know what, when when sin comes in your life, you start telling yourself things that aren't true, and you go, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. I can handle it. I can overcome it. Ye shall not surely die. And you know what, they did not die that moment physically, but something died inside of them. Forever, mankind would be different. Let me ask you this. Why do you suppose Rehoboam, young king? And it's a story for young people. It's a story for everybody, though. This young king, the son of Solomon, the son of David, why do you suppose that when Rehoboam goes and gets advice from the older guys and they tell him what he doesn't want to hear, he goes shopping after that. And he goes shopping for advice from his peers. Why? He's looking to hear what he's already told himself he wants. If you're not careful, you will surround yourself with those elements in your life, whether they be people or influences or whatever else. You need to learn this. You'll lie to you, others will lie to you, but God will never lie to you. When the the devil says, ye shall not surely die, as Javen pointed out, it was a half-truth. They didn't die in that moment. They didn't die physically right there in the spot, but they died spiritually. Something died inside of them when sin entered into the picture. And so it goes in our lives today. Something, maybe it's part of your conscience, but something dies when you allow sin. When you know what it is and you don't deal with it, it's going to mess with you and it will deaden your conscience. It will deaden your fellowship with God. And you'll say to yourself, things like this, it's no big deal. I can handle it. No, you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> I know I've said this before, but it bothers me. Every time I'm reading through Judges, and I read about Samson, and every time I read through it, I'm like, maybe it'll read differently this time. You know? And you know. hear Samson curled up on her lap. Oh, I just love the way you massage my head. Oh, you're just the best. If I'm the best, tell me where your strength lies. You know the whole story and the whole thing. And three times, you know, every time he gets up, it's a big game to him. You know what he says to himself? This is fun. Yeah. This is exciting. Yeah. Until it's not. Right. Until you're blind, standing between two pillars, and you're breathing your last breath. What I've, what I've learned is this and I'm not singling out the young people, this is something for all of us, but every generation tends to water truth down more and more. And every generation gets further and further from what the definition of, of sin actually is. And they keep moving the goal line. And the rules keep changing to the point where nothing is sin. You are God. You choose what's right and wrong for yourself. You know what that is? It's a big lie. When someone, the Bible says in Peter, they promised promise liberty, but they themselves are the, corru- are the servants of corruption. I wonder if Judas told himself, I can get back on track. I wonder if he ever said, how come he loves James and John and Peter so much? How come he doesn't love me? I, I wonder if Judas said these things to himself so many times that he started to say, you know what, I don't deserve this. Maybe I should take the money. Maybe I should. And then even up to the point where they took him, I guarantee you in his mind, he's going, okay, but don't hurt him. But you guys said, and don't, don't do anything. And then when he realizes what took place, it's too late. And then he goes, well, I have no alternative but to take my life. And that wasn't true either. Can you imagine being commissioned among the original disciples? Can you imagine that? And and imagine I send you guys out two by two, right? This is two by two. This is perfect right here, two by two by two. And and I tell you, you can go cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, heal the sick. I mean, imagine that you're in that group. You know who's in there? Judas. Anybody ever, in in Bible school, we had visitation night where we would go out and and go invite people from the community to church and stuff like that. You know, it's... uh, uh, people would oftentimes, that's the way I tried never to wear a white shirt and a black tie. I didn't want them to think I was Mormon, you know, You know, knock on the door and they come and all that stuff. And anyways, uh, uh, listen, can you imagine, like, like it's visitation night and you've got no one to go with and, and the teacher's like, well, take Judas with you. And you're like, I don't want to go with Judas. <laughs> but no one knew Judas was Judas until it was too late, right? And so here's Judas and he's going out and he's healing the sick and he's raising the dead and he's cleansing the, the unclean spirits out of people, how do you go from that to betraying the Son of God? That's how you do it. You lie to yourself. You got a picture of our furry friend? Would you show this? Oh, I knew you'd be a sucker right away. If anyone in my home would ever bring a raccoon, it would be Bella. But he's so fluffy, Daddy. I mean, I mean, look at this. I mean, look, look, I know you know things about raccoons, may you think this guy's, you know, an evil animal, but look how sweet that is. How does that go from that to that? <laughs> Here's what you have to understand. That was there the whole time. When raccoons, listen, I read a story, and I told it before about a zookeeper named Gary Richmond. This is back in the late 80s. I knew this lady named Julie who had this raccoon, and his name was Bandit. Isn't that so cute? Bandit. And Bandit was just part of the family. He's my fur baby. He's so wonderful. Isn't that great? And oh, Bandit was awesome. And, he, no one, and Gary goes to Julie and goes, you can't keep a raccoon in your house. It's not a good idea. Why not? Because he's, he's going to hurt you. Oh, Bandit would never hurt me. until he looks like that. (laughs) See, at 24 months, they go through a uh, a glandular uh, uh, um, maturation process where basically he's ready to mate and anything that stands in his way of that, he wants to kill. And so guess what? A couple plastic surgeries later, Julie learned the lesson. But you know what you think to yourself? Oh, I would never hurt myself. This thing? Oh. Look at how cute it is. I mean, it's not like right. Oh. Pregnant women want to eat all the time. Good grief. has got to be gluttony somewhere in there, I'm sure. <laughs> you know what we think? We lie to ourselves. You lie to yourself. Can I say this? It has deadening power. You see what do you mean? Let's go back to 2nd Samuel chapter 11. Something happens in David's mind that changes how David responds to life. And and I One of the hardest things is to know the direction that someone's going in and you can't stop them. Those little kids that were singing up here, you kids that were singing up here, would you raise your hand? You DBC kids, Can can I encourage you to do something? Get saved when you're young. Grow in the Lord. Stay in church. And don't, Don't be curious about all the garbage that's out there. It's not going to make you better. Some of you kids need to talk to your parents and go, Mommy and Daddy, why shouldn't I do that? And they can PG it for you. You say, man, Pastor, you're just kind of killing the mood. Good. Good. We live in a perpetual party with constant entertainment so that we never think about what's actually really going on in life. And every once in a while, taking a break from that, to think about where am, what am I doing with my life and what is it that's ru- running my life and what is it that's determining what I choose and what I reject. And, and whenever I realize that, that that throne can only be occupied by my sinful nature or by Jesus Christ himself, maybe I should stop and go, you know what? The wrong person's on the throne. If you read verses 6 through verse 24, which we're not going to read all right now, you know what you read? You read about a man who virtually has no conscience at this point. He tries to get the guy drunk. You know what the guy does? He goes, hey, I'm not going home to be with my wife. Men are dying on the battlefield. I'm not going to go do that. Who would do that? And that just pricks David. You know, he says, uh, uh, hey, you're right. Hey, maybe, maybe, you know, you just stay one more night and just kind of drink a little bit more. Habakkuk chapter 2. You know, maybe you're having a hard time. Maybe you're under a lot of pressure and you just kind of need to just loosen up a little bit. You know what your Uriah does? He sleeps on the, floor, on the floor outside and he never even goes to his house. And then after all of that, God's trying to go, David, don't you see what I'm trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you, you should have put on your shoes. You should have run. You didn't run. Now you're in about knee deep. Stop right now. I'm trying to show you what this man is doing is better than what you're doing. Take his example. Pump the brakes now. Deal with what's going on. Deal with it the right way. You know what David does? He puts a letter in the hands of, his, of, his own, of that very man. He goes, hey, Uriah, take this to Joab. I want him to deliver it. And you know what that letter says? Put Uriah at the hottest place in the battle. Let him die. Let me ask you a question. Doesn't the book of Acts say that David is a man for God's own heart? How does that guy do that? I'll tell you how he does it. He was drawn, then he allowed himself to be deceived, and then something started to die inside of him his conscience. To the point where it did not matter what was said or what was done, he was going to get what he wanted to get, and God himself wouldn't stand in his way. You know what the Bible says? Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness and greediness? But ye have not so learned Christ. If you're saved, that should not be your testimony. My wife had this thing called supraventricular tachycardia. I am so proud of myself I could say that word. You go, You know what? You go to medical school for eight years to learn big words like that. If they had just said. Man, it's kind of like a short circuit in your heart. and You just got to bing, bang, boom. You got to kill that thing, man. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I got that. But they said superventricular tachycardia. And I'm like, oh, uh, uh, was that means give me your wallet. That's what that means. <laughs> you say, what is it? It means that her heart was beating too fast. I would notice it would be a little bit faster when I got a little bit closer. Now I'm <laughs> just trying, trying to make up for the last comment, okay? She had this thing, though, where it was like a short circuit in her heart. And it would, l- it would basically make her heart go. <laughs> and I remember one time she goes, honey, please feel this. And I thought she was going to die. You know what their solution was? Th- the solution was, hey, we're going to take a laser and we're going to go in and we're going to sear and burn that thing. It's like an electric node in your heart. They're going to burn that. And that way your heart will start to function like normal. I did notice this happened during Isabella's pregnancy, yes. so I'm thinking <laughs> there's a little bit of nervous, a little anxiety after that that birth. I understand. <laughs> you know what they did? They took a laser and they went it, and they just singed that thing, made it useless. <laughs> and now it's fine. You know, a lot of people do it with their conscience; they just sear it, yep. Yep. Well, and then it's useless. And then you can go on to do what you want to do. The Bible says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. See, why do kids talk back disrespectfully? Why do husbands not love their wives like they should? Why do the wives not respect and follow their husbands? Why do we have kids that are out of control? Why do people step on their spouses and think nothing about it? Because they deaden their conscience. Look, if you go to chapter 12, after Uriah is dead, and after, oh wait, I'm sorry, I I'm, I spoke too soon. Look at chapter 11, verse 27. Guess what happens? Well, Uriah's dead. She's having a baby. David goes, oh, well, since no one else is there to take care of you, uh, public, I feel so bad for her, I'll just... I'll take her as my wife. I want you to notice at the end of that verse what it says. Read it for yourself. Because no one else knew this, but David did. David knew. The thing that he did displeased the Lord. In chapter 12, the preacher comes to him and tells him a story. And most of you know this story, so I won't repeat it. But he uses an illustration about a man stealing another man's sheep and and David rises from his throne and slams his fist down the side of that chair and he says, whoever does this, they need to pay for it. And before he can get that all out, Nathan jumps right in front of that king, jumps up into that throne and says, thou art the man. But at that point, the destroying power of sin is already in motion. You say, what ends up happening? Look at verse 10. He'd have strife, unnecessary strife in his home and in his kingdom. Verse 11 is prophecy about his own son Absalom, how he would steal the kingdom from him. Verse 12 speaks of how shameful this would be. Verse 14, God reveals to David, he's given occasion of the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Listen, if you're a Christian and you live like a Christian, the world's not going to like you. If you're a Christian and you live like them, they're really not going to like you. You understand that? You can't win either way. That's okay. That's all right. I'd rather, I'd rather lose in their eyes and win in his eyes. I'd rather go, I don't like you because you're always about Jesus and the Bible and all this stuff. Just leave me alone. I'd rather that than go, you're a stinking hypocrite. You live no differently than I do. You talk no differently than I do. You treat your wife no differently than I do. You handle your kids no differently than I do. You're just like us. Why should I listen to you? Why should I even go to your church? Thou art the man. You see, verse 14 that baby that was conceived would eventually die. not the baby's fault Here's the, here's the moral of the story. Once you allow sin in your life, it does you can't control who it affects It, it's, it spreads a whole lot more than you realize. One telephone call, one Facebook post, one TikTok, one affair, one night, one thought, one occasion of harboring bitterness, one one situation where you just will not forgive somebody—they can change your life. You know, I don't want—I don't want to get to the end of my life and have my kids. Question everything that I taught them because of choices I make. Amen. Amen. I don't want my kids going. You know what? What was all that about? <laughs> what a waste! I'll never forget. One time I was. By the way, preachers can make a mess of things too. I was talking to a preacher after he made a mess of things, and you know, he said, he looked at me, tears streaming down his face. He said, "Never quit." calling sin what it is. I was 18 at the time, I think, 19, somewhere in there. never forgot that. Well, God can forgive me. He wants to forgive you. But it can affect you for a long time. I'll never forget one time I was at church in Florida. And my, uh, one of my pastors at the time preached a message. And he did what I'm doing right now. He just got kind of choked up and I did not understand it. But I do now. When you see the tolerance that God's people have for sin and the intolerance that they have for each other, for the Bible, for church, for the preacher... It grieves you. A baby would die. The kingdom would be split. Strife would take place. A rebellion would happen. All because of this one occasion. Now, if I were to tell you that this is the end of the story, I would be doing you a disservice. Because I, I want you to understand that as tragic as this is and as terrible as this is, this is not the fate. It doesn't have to be the fate of every believer. You know what we get to say? O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. The kids just sang it earlier, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. David had dealt with some external giants in his life and he managed those pretty well. It was the internal ones that weren't dealt with. You have to deal with the internal giants if you want to win. Look with me, if you would, at Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 as we close. You know what David says after the preacher gets in his face and says, Thou art the man. You know what David says? I have sinned against the Lord. As messed up as David was and as messed up as the situation is, you know what I can at least appreciate about David? When Saul is confronted about his sin with the preacher, you know what Saul does? The people said this. The people wanted this. It's because of them. It's not me. I didn't want this. You know what David says? It's me. I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God, forgive me. Lord, I'm tired of of looking at sin like it's a toy. I'm tired of accepting it like it's no big deal. God, I want to look at this the way that you look at it. I was talking with my wife about this yesterday. I want to get to a place where I go, God, I I want to hate sin like you hate sin. I I hate everyone else's sin plenty. It's my sin I need help with. Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51, you say, What's going on here? David is talking to his heavenly father. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee the only have i sinned and on this evil in thy sight you know look at verse six thou desires truth where in the inward parts david is dealing with his sin in a way that he hasn't dealt with in a long long time let me just say this verse 11 is something you will never ever 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 have to pray as a new testament born again child of god thank god for that But I I do think there's something about verse 12 that still resonates with me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. It's weird because the world tells you, do what you want and you'll be free. And what that does is it puts you in bondage. And the world, and God says, serve me with your life. And you think it would be changed, but that's actually freedom. The choice is yours, Christian. I love that David deals with his sin like he hadn't dealt with in a long time. Can I encourage you to quit calling sin what it isn't? Quit trivializing it. Parents, can I encourage you when you see your kids dealing with something, help them. Husbands and wives, encourage each other. Here's the truth. There are things that affect me that my wife has no problem with whatsoever and things that affect her that I have no problem with whatsoever. You know what we're supposed to do? Be heirs together of the grace of life. There's not one person in this room, listen to me, not one of you in this room that has never been touched by sin. The question is, how do we deal with it? The question is, who's going to sit on the throne? Let's all stand, every head bowed every eye closed. Father, we come to you the only way we know how. We we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be tender, not hard-hearted. God, I know David had some consequences, but I also know that David was restored I know he went through some things I know he didn't just get out scot-free I know he he had some trouble but he got things right with you God there are boys and girls and men and women in this room and Lord we are constantly bombarded with things that we've just become dead into it Lord, I, I want to show my church a better way. I want to show my kids a better way. And God, that starts with me. Lord, help me not to look at sin as no big deal. Lord, help us to confess it. And as your word says, to forsake it. To run if we have to run. To flee but Lord to run when we run we run in the right direction we run to the rock that is higher and get to high ground with you Lord I pray if there's anyone here that isn't saved that you might deal with them about their sin and they're standing in front of you someday at judgment day and hearing depart from me for I never knew you Lord I don't want anyone here to experience that every head bowed and every eye closed let me ask a real simple question as these pray Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're a born-again child of God? And if you do, you're going to have your battles with sin. Just just don't deal with them like David at the beginning of this story. Be David at the end of the story, but at the beginning. <laughs> but if you're here and you're a born-again child of God, you have a hope of eternal life that sin cannot rob you. Thank God for that. But if you've never been born again, can I simply ask you why not? Can I encourage you, if you're here and you're not saved, if I were to ask who here is saved, my hands would go up all over the place, all over. If you couldn't raise your hand, if you're not sure, can I, can I encourage you? Ask someone, what does it mean to be saved? How can I be saved? Can I just give you, I'll tell you this, in 10 minutes Someone can show you from the Bible how you can have eternal life. It costs you nothing. It is a free gift. God loved your soul enough to send his son to die for you in spite of all the sin. You know what the Bible says? He became sin for us when he knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what he did for us. If you're here and you're not saved with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you maybe just, maybe consider, I won't point you out, I won't drag you, this is not, you can't make someone get saved. If I could, I would be, I I can't. That's not how it works. But if you're kind of like, you know what, I don't think I am saved. I don't believe I've ever been born again. I don't know that heaven is my home. I don't know that God is my Father. I don't have peace when it comes to the subject of what's after all this. And let me say this, if you're not saved, you shouldn't have peace because something's missing. But you can have it today. If you're here like that, would you be honest enough? I won't point you out, but I'd, you can simply look up in my direction while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'd love to pray for you. And you'll see that. Listen. The greatest thing you could do is to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, well, you preach all this time to people who've already done that and they still have struggles. Absolutely. But the greatest struggle of all is the penalty of sin. And I will never have to face the penalty of eternal, my eternal penalty for sin because Jesus Christ paid that already. Yes, I'll suffer consequences in this life. Yes. I'll be chastened by my Heavenly Father, but I will never have to face the full consequences of all my sin for eternity because of what Jesus Christ did for me. And on this weekend of Thanksgiving, I can't think of a greater thing than for you to accept that free gift of eternal life. Change your life forever. You'll still have some battles, but you'll be equipped to face them. got something out of the word today and uh, let me say it like this, there's a world that's drowning in it and they need someone to be different, they need someone to give them some hope. On your way out today, I'm going to encourage you, if you're if you're a Christian, I'd encourage you maybe grab a an invitation, to candlelight service, maybe grab some gospel tracts, those things on the rack out there, they're not just decoration in Baptist churches, they are to be used and uh, I encourage you to grab some of those. We get a few of those out. Try to be a, a light for Jesus. There are people that literally don't know the way out. Whatever you're facing as a Christian, and it may be some challenging thing, it's nothing compared to whatever someone else out there without Christ is facing. So as you go out there, kind of see yourself as a search and rescue team. Go out and be a light out there, amen? Let's make a difference for Jesus this week. And starts from within, making sure this is clean, amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for coming and visiting with us. And uh, before we are uh, finally dismissed, I guess what I ought to do is have the Moore family come on up at this time, if you would, real quick. And I should...